maximum firepower. Welcome to the Brace for Impact podcast. Today we're going to be discussing the newly announced game from AMG, Shatterpoint. After that, we will review Rapid Reinforcements 1 expansion for Armada and talk about the recent Star Wars show Andor. So, very exciting topics for today. We're going to go ahead and start off with AMG's Shatterpoint. Chandler, take us away. What are some notes? Yeah, so uh, recently AMG announced another game, Shatterpoint, that they're releasing. And it looks, I mean, at first glance, a lot like Crisis Protocol. And so we're just going to be talking about, you know, what is Shatterpoint about, what things are similar, um, what does it mean for the other games, and, and that kind of thing. And Shatterpoint, like, in Star Wars, has been a pretty significant, uh, like, topic, plot point, force power kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Mainly focused around, like, you know, Mace Windu. He's got, like, a whole book titled Shatterpoint, that kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, what are your initial thoughts on this? AMG releasing a whole new game for Star Wars. Uh um, initial thoughts, you know, first one is, is it a game that I'm going to want to buy into? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think that's a big one. Is it something that's new and refreshing? And yeah, like, is it just something uh, worth getting into? So that's really my initial thought. So I'm hoping that it has something in particular that's going to sell me on it. Um, I haven't seen anything yet. You see nothing on Shatterpoint yet. I've seen nothing on Shatterpoint yet. Oh, so you just uh, heard I, well, about it. Oh, okay. Well, I saw like the whole intro. They had like a little video, right? Oh, Which yeah. was pretty cool. Um, and and that's what I have. I mean, I feel like. Okay. Well, I'll, it, I'll I'll say that that's that's all that anybody's seen on it. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's that, and then like a couple um, card art images, which we have here. But that's that's pretty much it, and and just like a few little blurbs of them talking about you know, what the game is about and everything. Um, but the first thing that stands out is that uh, the models are 40 millimeter scale and not 25 millimeter like Legion or Warhammer. So these, They're are, bigger. these, are, these are big models, um, significantly so. And uh, I think 40 millimeter scale, I'm not entirely sure, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that that's the Marvel Crisis Protocol scale. Okay. But... Yeah, a lot of comparisons will be drawn to Marvel Crisis Protocol because they seem like similar uh, small skirmish type games. I mean, obviously developed by the same company. One is Star Wars, one is with Marvel superheroes. It definitely seems like the counterpart, yeah. And, and like, honestly, one of the major things is like, why didn't they just call it like Star Wars Crisis Protocol? And then just be like, yeah, it's a Star Wars Crisis Protocol game. Get over it. And so I'm... I'm <laughs> I'm thinking that, honestly, like, if they said that, I would be like, oh, okay, like, I pretty much expected you guys to do this. When Marvel Crisis Protocol was out, I was looking at it, and I was like, damn, these guys should do, like, a Star Wars Crisis Protocol, because that would be fucking awesome. And here they you know, are. Like, and here they are, and, like, but that was before everything from FFG, all the Star Wars miniatures games, got transferred to AMG, and everyone said the sky was falling and that, that kind of thing. Hmm. But, I mean, here it is, and we, we get some promo images, we, we, that video like you talked about, and all that kind of thing. The Marvel Crisis Protocol card art, it's very busy. That's a lot of information on a small card. Oh, yeah, you're looking at those? Uh, yeah. yeah. Very, 
Well, at first glance, it's very busy, but you can say that about any type of game that someone isn't playing. Because hmm. none of the information means anything. So it's just a bunch of busy symbols and, and numbers. There's a fair bit of text. There's a fair bit of text, but yeah. it's in reference to things that I have no idea uh, what they do. Uh, well, that's the logical approach. Yeah. <laughs> but really, um, what I'm really excited about is the models. Because I love models, I love painting models, and the Marvel Crisis Protocol models that they release are amazing quality, and it looks like they didn't hold back on these either. Like, these models look fucking amazing, even when just compared to Legion models. Well, obviously the Legion models are smaller, they have to be stylized a little bit to, you know, look right, but the the Christ the the Shatterpoint models look fucking amazing. So just looking at the Separatist one here, right? Because it's got the droids. They look really fucking cool. Are you talking about just the battle droids? Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then having them at forty millimeter scale is going to be great because you have like more to paint. You can see it from a greater distance, like in your room yeah. or something. More detail, all that kind of thing. And there's like there's three battle droids on a base. I do and see I it. Think, yeah. I think I saw. Um, just just like for just like a glance of the B2 battle droids and it seems like they're two per base which mm. i think is is interesting because you know it kind of keeps the the models like less cluttered on the board you don't have to spend time moving three wimpy battle droids you know you just move them as a set which i think is pretty interesting i do too and i'm sorry i just want to talk about the models a little bit more do you see like the command droid next to it and that little holographic thing he has on his hand that is way cool that is way cool um so that's one of yeah that's the the separatists in the core set mm -hmm. so um in the description it says that you get asajj maul um gar saxon and then i think they're just two generic uh mandos mm -hmm. and then kalani so that droid is uh like a named character droid from the clone wars but yeah He's a super tactical battle droid, really cool. The hologram in his in the palm of his hand is is really honestly just them showing off of like, hey, we can make really fucking cool models. Look at this fucking droid with the hologram. I think they did a good job showing off. It's great. It's really great. They, they all look really good, and and honestly, like the mandos with the jetpacks that are holding them on the base mm -hmm. while they're jumping looks amazing. It's way better than having like mandos just. There's no smoke, and they're on, like, a clear peg, you know? Mm-hmm. It looks great. Honestly, all the models look great. And the only thing I'll say that I don't like about these promo images is the lightsabers. Oh, you, I, that was actually what I was waiting to talk about. But tell me what you have to say about the lightsabers. I think it's really disingenuous to have a bunch of models that you painted... And then for the lightsabers, you add a glow in, like, Adobe After Effects. You saw that? Yes! It, it is just... And it's very slight. It's so slight. It's like they're trying to trick you. It's so slight. I'm like, I see that, and I'm like, don't fucking do that. Like, if you painted on these models, like, if they didn't tell the person who painted these, um, which I'm assuming is Serastro, because he did the... I think I read somewhere that he did the music for the video. So I'm mm -hmm. assuming he painted these, which, if he didn't, so what? Th they look amazing. Yes. If they did that without telling him, like, how dare they? But 
because if you go to Obi-Wan and Grievous and like the ones above it, those don't have the glow effect and it looks very much like you would expect a painted lightsaber. Yeah. Well, because those those are stills taken from the video. So. Are they? Well, I mean, I guess they could, they could have still added the effect. But anyways, so, I mean, that's what you should expect it to look like. That's, that's what they should look like is no like Adobe After Effects glow. And it's still, they look amazing without the glow. So I, I just don't understand why they did that. So that's actually something I wanted to talk about from a painting perspective, Chandler. I know mm. you like to paint. I like to paint. I love painting. <sighs> Have you painted a lightsaber? I've not. It is a unique challenge. Yeah. On multiple levels, right? Because you want to, you know, have it kind of like glow in the center, but like that's not going to be from like every angle. So it's, you know, it's it's difficult, especially on something that's not going to sit on a shelf and only be looked at from one direction. Like this is something that you're going to see the back of, the front of, the top of. So it's really hard to do a lightsaber and definitely a challenge. Even, even so. I don't like that they did the glow for their their promo pictures, but oh no, um, yeah, they definitely shouldn't have done that. But from a painting perspective, because honestly, like if they've painted the models to such like a quality that they look so fucking amazing, where I'm like, why why did you bother adding the glow? They look incredible. Like I'm I'm convinced already. I was like, just don't do the glow. It, it seems weird. It seems weird to me. Is all I'm saying. I agree. You're in good company. Yeah. But like, so obviously, the main comparison is to Marvel Crisis Protocol, which mm-hmm. I think is fair. It's a similar game. There, it feels like they're going with a similar vibe, just based on just just looking at the core set and the box. And I don't even have to know that it's forty millimeter models. I don't have to know that it's a skirmish game. I can see it and draw parallels just to the Marvel Crisis Protocol box. It's got a, a really comic book style with really vibrant colors dark shading and like that's that's the bottom line there is is i can make parallels to marvel crisis protocol the base style is exactly the same the base style is exactly the same but then we get to the card art and they they really get to go wild on this kind of not not exactly comic book style but but this high vibrancy uh, art design that's really consistent and unique like, when I saw all this art, I was like, this art looks fucking bomb, dude. Like, Gar Saxon, like, blasting off and he's got his fucking sniper rifle. That's mm-hmm. that's a hot piece of art right there. I like the intensity of the glow effect in this art. Yeah, but it's it's very distinct from any other Star Wars game. Like, now that I see this, if I saw another character that hadn't that I hadn't already seen art from and they were, they were drawn in this style, I would automatically a point i'll be like this looks like they're trying to do a shatterpoint art style you know mm. it's it's so distinct and something that i haven't seen no i mean i'm looking at it now and i think it's it is really really cool it is really cool now just the lighting is awesome the angles especially on like the uh tactical droid that you mentioned i mean have you seen him did you see his yeah yeah the tactical droid is amazing that's just super good uh, but these are all clearly again I don't know what the right term for it is. The, these are the the character card art, mm-hmm. but there's no card. It's just the art. Yeah, it looks like it's definitely it's supposed to be superimposed on something. Yeah, it's, it's definitely going to be superimposed, just like the Marvel Crisis Protocol cards, where all the information is there. But uh, we've got a couple 
or, or I guess just one Marvel Crisis Protocol card, mm-hmm. uh, Captain America, and you can you can see the similarities of the vibrancy, dark shadows, and this kind of drawn aesthetic that they've got. I mean, it's it's not exactly the same. But the you proportions can see that they're like, are definitely different. I think. Yeah, the proportions are definitely different. Like, I definitely think this is a vi- uh, the Crisis Protocol has a very cartoony proportion, and I feel like the Star Wars ones that they're a bit more grounded in realism. I think for the body yeah, proportions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you can kind of see where they're like, "Hey, we want you to do this art style. You know, kind of go with this vibe. Change kind of a, a few design elements from it. Obviously, you're going to be drawing Star Wars." Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we'll go from there. There's certain things they do with the lightsaber art that I like. It, it, it's like a blast or like a star effect, like from the hilt. Oh, I see. Like, it's kind of like a little emphasis on the light source, kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Lots of cool stuff, just just from the design of these. I mean, in general, like, they put a lot of effort into showing the blades in motion. Yeah, I think that's really cool. Hmm. Uh, so, we're talking about Shatterpoint, we're talking about their art. Yeah, definitely. But, gameplay aside, these models are fucking amazing. They're the incredible quality. Obviously, you can paint them to a really high level. The poses are incredible. All of these things are good. Are they pre-built? They will likely not be pre-built. Is there, like, any option for posability on these? Ooh, that might be... An interesting question. I think that there is. Because I think that's important. And the only reason I say that is because uh, I've seen the Gar Saxon model. Mm-hmm. And in, in our notes, it's the one where he's got no helmet and his sniper rifle. And he's, you know, on a jetpack blasting off. Okay, I see it. I've seen an alternate version of him where he has a pistol, his helmet on, and an energy shield. Right, because he's got a very noticeable helmet. Yeah, he, yeah, his helmet has like those fucking mall spikes and everything. That's really cool because I think posability in models is awesome. Yeah. Also, like they look so fucking good. Like if if there's a kind of like restriction on posability, at least on some some kind of like models, I think that's fine because they look so amazing. Especially like the fucking the Grievous model. He looks so fucking huge. <sighs> I mean, okay, so obviously that seems like a special base. Is that? something that came with it is that something that was added on extra i am almost assured that that is part of the grievous model okay that rock that he's standing on mainly because you know his feet look like the toes go into the rock like they're clamping onto it let me take a quick zoom in go on and just just the angle of his feet i don't think that they would be like yeah let's just add this big ass rock and put Grievous on there that you won't get in your core set. So I'm pretty sure this is just showing. If you look, you can see the mating surface between the rock and the base. So it definitely looks like something that will likely be included as part of the model. Yeah, yeah. Which I, I assume as much, but... I wonder why they made him so much taller. Just for the cool factor, man. I mean, but no one else has anything like that. And they're like, I think, cooler figures. Yeah, I don't know. That's interesting. Just, yeah. It is interesting that he's like the only model that has like a big ass rock that he's yeah. standing on, but I think it's fine. 
I think it, it gives him a, like a cool pose. I mean, I'm not a huge problem, but I'm definitely curious. Like, is he considered yeah. like maybe a bigger boss kind? But I can't. Yeah, imagine. It, it seems like his base is quite a bit larger than all of them. But I I would not mind that because Grievous is a big fuck off droid with four lightsabers and mm-hmm. you know make him a bit terrifying. Controls a wide area. I think it lets lends to like the the imposability factor of Grievous. Mm-hmm. Like, all right, he's quite a bit higher than all the other models and now he gets to look down on them look imposing and threatening and all that mm. instead of just you know being on the ground and you know he's like a head taller or something because because he does have like this this hunch where he's like leaned forward and stuff so i think putting him on the rock allows him to look more terrifying i like it i think it's great so looking at this do you would you like to know something that stands out to me Yes. Those are some bendy lightsabers. Yes, on Grievous, those are some bendy lightsabers. Okay. Not just me. Not just you. Mm. But also, I mean, what are you, what are you going to do? Um, there, there are bendy lightsabers all over the place. Dooku's got a little bit of bend. Barris. Yeah, I was actually looking back. Anakin's and uh, Obi-Wan's look great. From that angle, yeah. Yeah, from that angle. I um yeah, I feel like in this situation it's definitely worth it. Like the lightsaber is such a focal point. Just dip it in some hot water, straighten it out. Oh yeah, for sure. Like if, if I get a bendy lightsaber, that's exactly what I'll do. I'm surprised that dip these it in like hot water bend it out. Promo type photos. Anyways, regardless. So yeah. Stood out. Stood, <laughs> Very stood bendy. Out. Um what do you think about this game and Legion? Like, let's say you wanted to get into one type of game. You've got Legion, which is a larger army-based game. You can have tanks. Models are smaller. Or Shatterpoint. You've got a skirmish-type game. Models are larger. No tanks. Blah, blah, blah. So, I mean, before I answer that question, I have a question. Hmm. You know, why is AMG competing with itself like this? I mean, like, are you asking why they do that? Or are you asking that... It doesn't matter which is which. You're buying a product from AMG. Um, no, I mean it. Okay, so I, I guess that makes sense. But I feel like, as a player, you know, who doesn't have an infinite budget, I have to look at this, and if I want to get into one, I have to ask myself which one to get into, as opposed yeah. to being able to get into. I don't know because they're almost like the same thing. They're so similar. Like I, I understand like the skirmish aspect of it, but are you not getting that in Legion? Yeah. So right now, like. The only way to do skirmish is to, I mean, just use the models, but you just use less of them. There's mm-hmm. not really any inherent rules change or anything like that. So if you want to do, I'm guessing, like a small, fast game using six or seven models per side, there's not really a way to do it other than just use less models in Legion. Is this going to be a small, fast game? Yes, so this is described as like a skirmish type game, small number of models, fairly fast game. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's not like you're going to use seven models per side and it's going to be like a two and a half hour game, you know. It's going to be mm-hmm. a, a fast skirmish type game is what it was described as. I mean, think of it like uh, the comparison of Armada to X-Wing, where like Armada is two and a half hour game, X-Wing is quite a bit shorter. I mean, you're both using spaceships and, and whatnot, but that makes that's sense. The difference. So anyway, back to your question of AMG competing with itself. I don't know. 
I really don't know the answer to that. The only thing I can say is that this must have been in development for like quite a few years before they got slapped with a bunch of additional work mm-hmm. by their corporate overlords, you know? How long have they had it? They've had it since what, 2021? 2020? You can't develop an entirely new game in a couple years. It's very true. You know, like, like look at this art. They had to get a whole new, not just have this art done, but have a concept process for this art. Find someone to do it. Mm. Have it all done. And you can't just say, oh, we're going to get the core set done, and that'll be good enough to release. There's no way. Yeah, you have to have something lined up. Especially with how experienced they are with Marvel Crisis Protocol. There's no way they're like, oh, just get the core set done and that'll be good enough. They've got to have charts and charts of characters that they want released. A whole release structure. And so it's, it's years of work that they've had to do on this. So I'm, I'm just guessing that they said, fuck, just keep working on Shatterpoint and we're going to try and handle these other games but just get, just start getting this out. Because if we start working on these other games, then this isn't going to get done. You know, they got saddled mm. with three extra games from their one Marvel Crisis Protocol game, you know? So you're thinking they're just trying to get something, like a corset out, a couple of expansions, and then maybe get back to some of the other games? I, I don't know. The only way I could make any assessment on that is to know how many people they have for their development teams. Mm. Which can't be many, you know? Mm-hmm. Do they do they have twenty people on a development team? It can't be more than that. So, like, how do you divvy all that up? That makes sense. And so, I'm just assuming I'm extrapolating based on incomplete information. I'm assuming that they had people allocated to Shatterpoint, which is an unreleased game, working on it. And when they got dropped with Armada, X-wing, Legion. I mean, how do you how do you go to them and be like, stop what you you've been working on for the last year and a half, two years, and transition to this entirely new game? You know what I mean? Yeah. I just I just say, a head full. Keep doing what you're doing. You've been working on it for God knows how long, and we'll get it released and we'll get it going and and we'll go from there once it's out. Or they said, fuck it, we'll do it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's no way to tell. I, I, yeah, I have no idea. And they, they'll never say. So there's no way to know. I'm just speculating. But a, a lot of what I've seen, I like. Because one of the things, one of my major dislikes for Legion is I'm a slow painter. Mm. And so to paint a whole army is, is such a huge task for me. It's one of the main reasons I don't play it. I feel like you've been working on your Tau um, the entire time that I've known you. Yeah. <laughs> but also, I, I don't, I'm not like super motivated to paint those because the game I, I feel is not as good. <laughs> you know, like like mm-hmm. if I'm playing the game like every fucking couple weeks, it's like I'm more motivated to paint. But yeah, that's just not the case. You know what I mean? But if I just have if I just have to like crunch out like eight models and I don't have to focus so extremely on not fucking up because the model's so small, I mean that's probably more doable for me. Especially if they look this good. And it's Star Wars, and uh, I'm a fucking Star Wars junkie, so... Mm. Well... But what are your thoughts on that? On, on, on the whole question you just fucking asked me? Oh, and which question is that, Chandler? I mean... 
I can't remember, dude. Sometimes I just start talking and I just let it go and I yeah. I don't even know where I'm ending up. I feel like that was a few minutes ago and I've kind of already moved <laughs> yeah. a little past that. And, you know, I'd love to with a reminder, but I just don't. It kind of went off on a tangent there. So we're in a different spot. Oh, I think we were talking about how um, the development process for this and like the kind of implications that it would slow development for other projects. I don't know how the fuck we got to painting from that, but I just press record and mm. let it go. Uh, but yeah, honestly, it should slow development for other projects if it hasn't been... This is a huge game, it looks like. This is like a whole... like. Granted, they're just kind of doing probably very similar rules to Crisis Protocol, but I'm sure they're going to take steps to make it different from that. And again, just designing all these models, I feel like it's a huge part of the production. Yeah, and I mean... Like, if, if nothing else, this has been why development on Armada, X-Wing, and Legion has been so slow. It's because they've had a lot of their company already invested in this other project that, I mean, they can't just say, hey, uh, guys, we're not going to work on your games. We've already got another game we're working on. Just because, like, God, I've, I've talked to so many developers, and the main line is, we can't talk about any future product. Mm -hmm. You know, like... They can't speculate or give you any speculation. They can't say what they're working on until it's out. And when it's out, they can't be like, this was the reason that everything's so slow. You know what I mean? So, yeah, that's interesting. But, but I mean, it makes sense that, I mean, they only have so many people, so many things to work on. And look at what we have gotten from them on the other games. It's just been kind of like cardboard and paper things, and not even that in some of the cases, like we're going to talk about in a little bit. Right? Just kind of like rule changes. Uh, the sumo of all things, there was no plastic. It was just some cardboard stuff. Perhaps all the people that do their sculpting were working full-time on pumping these models out as fast as they could. Yeah, that, that could be it too. And like just to get them to uh, like a healthy release schedule. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, maybe they've gotten the next 40 models all modeled, and now they can transition into something else. Into some spaceships. Know? Into some fucking spaceships, man. <laughs> Give me some spaceships. Love me some spaceships. Um, but, like, that makes total sense to me. Um, one of the questions I have, like, when I first saw this was, like, well, I know that you've got this kind of, like, rule set that you're used to from Marvel Crisis Protocol. Why not just make it Legion scale? Like a, a different rule set, a different kind of like intro box, the skirmish intro box, you know, a la Kill Team. Like a Kill Team intro box. Mm -hmm. Same scale as Legion, develop new and improved minis for that. Hmm. That's, that's my question. Why not just that? Maybe they just wanted something to call their own? Like, I feel yeah. like that's the only thing I can think of. Call, something to call their own. I mean, honestly, these, these models do look incredible, and it, it would be a difficult task to add that the, the detail on these models if they were 25 millimeter, millimeter scale. Mm -hmm. And also, I think the answer to that is the answer to the, the, the last question of, I think that this had been in development before they got Legion. So they didn't have that, too? They didn't even have Legion. Now, like, that wasn't an option. Yeah. You know? Because, like, obviously this came out and all the nerds that, like, Legion were like, oh, fuck. Why didn't you just do a Legion scale and you make more Legion stuff? Blah, 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 blah. And if you like Legion, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's just because they didn't have Legion to work on. They, they just couldn't work on it. So, like, why would you make a joint game with a game you don't have? 
that makes sense. So that's my thought on that. I feel like all the pieces fit, right? Like we we keep reaching the same conclusion. This was just something yeah, that they had. Conclusion, yeah. It's getting released summer 2023. So like that's a while. I don't know when they got Armada in like 2020. That's three years. There's no way. There's no way you can do a production like that in three years. No, because it's a big one. And it's a well done one. Yeah, it is well done. And it's got plastic miniatures, its own sculpt, its own art, you know. Its own highly unique art. This isn't like, oh, you know, take, you know, Han Solo and then do just like a realistic drawing of him. This is like an entirely different kind of art style that's been in Star Wars ever. Mm -hmm. And do that for every card. Get a cool fucking core set box. All that kind of shit. So, So that's what I think. I'll just let that one rest. Another thing, I think it's interesting that they did a core set that seems to be based very heavily on the Clone Wars Season 7 instead of a traditional Rebel versus Empire core set that we've seen in almost every single iteration of Star Wars since the dawn of time. That's an interesting observation in the first place, to be honest. It is interesting. Hmm. And it's, I think it's interesting that they chose to do this instead of Empire vs. Rebels. Looking to see for the image of the core set here. Um, what what comes in the core set? Oh, there's two different Okay, core set Republican separatists. Hmm. Yeah, there's really nothing I can say to prove you wrong. I feel like they just wanted some Mandalorians because they're dope. I feel like that might have been one of the first things they went for. Look, Mandas are dope. And then, you know... But, I mean, you can have Boba Fett. You want someone with a lightsaber. You can have Boba Fett in the Empire. But, um, I just think it's interesting that they chose to do entirely Clone Wars. Like, even the expansions. It's Dooku in the Magna Guards. It's Obi-Wan in the 212th. It's Grievous. It's Barris and Luminara, you know? Well, perhaps they're just pulling from one of the most popular seasons they have. Being like, okay, well, what has the most amount of fans this season? Mm-hmm. Let's give them models from there. I think that's a wise choice on their part. Yeah, I agree as well. <laughs> I think when you think about it like that, it just makes sense. And we keep coming back to this um, point. This conflict with how long have they been working on this? And it lines up, dude. Like Clone Wars Season 7 came, about, came out around that time that they must have started working on this. So I just think it's interesting. I'm curious to see, like, the card art design, because obviously they're eventually going to release Empire and Rebels, you know. Mm. I'd like to see fucking, like, Luke Skywalker in this card art design, the Shatterpoint art style, Mm -hmm. because it looks fucking awesome. And I'd like to continue seeing characters done in this this style. I think it looks really great. I wonder what the buy-in for this game is. Like, how much do I need to have, like, a full set? I don't know. Let me, let me check. A full set or just the core set? Um, I don't know. Where if, like, there was to be a tournament, I could have, like, enough to play a tournament. Hmm. I don't know. The Marvel Crisis Protocol starter runs at $99. So. But also, um, this comes with terrain as well. Hmm. Yeah, so I think some of the, the houses that you see in these, in the video and in these promos, it comes with, like, terrain. Oh, that would be really cool. Because that, um... What I've heard is a part of the gameplay. It's this kind of focus on verticality and position hmm. instead of just being able to play it on a flat service. I think that's going to be a huge selling point. That's really cool. Yeah, it sounds cool. 
and it looks cool. If it sounds cool and it looks cool, all it needs to do is be fun. I'm really digging this like hex stone cave situation in the Obi and Grievous and Cody and 120 or 212 photos kind of towards the end here. Oh yeah, that looks super fucking cool. Oh, that is a cool map. See now they do a lot of painting guides and uh, I'm talking about AMG. AMG does a lot of painting guides and painting streams and it seems like a lot of their focus is on the hobby. Mm -hmm. I want to see how they did these fucking hex rocks. I want that. If I can make some hex rocks and put some of these corset houses mm. next to it, like, man. It looks very Star Wars. Cool. It looks very Star Wars. It looks weird and strange. That mix of, like, super sci-fi. Totally can happen. Aesthetic with the hex rocks and then the natural grass coming out of it. I want to see how to do that, honestly. Mm-hmm. Give me some paint guides on terrain, how to, get, how to get these houses painted up real quick, you know? Oh, I do. That would really be... Dude, and, like... I wonder, I wonder what size field this would play on. Like, imagine, like, well, I imagine that these models will come out, like, on a battle report really nicely. Dude, imagine if you could play this, or if it's meant to be played on a 3x6. That would be really fucking cool. That would be really large, I think. Or maybe, like, a 3 well, by Which makes it cool. It does make it cool. No, I want, I want like, a big table. I love the big table idea. I think that's I, great. I, I, like, I like playing on a big table, too. Like, even if you don't use the whole thing, like, we, you know, we talked about deployment and how just having that table uh, length makes things interesting. Yeah. What size is um, Kill Team played on? Uh, it's, like, a 32. It's, like, 2 feet by 3 feet. It's quite small. I wonder what the Marvel Crisis Protocol size is. I have no idea. 36 by 36. So, it's likely that it'll be a uh, 3x3, which I like. Yeah. I like having that kind of, you know, dense play field. I mean, same size as an X-Wing match. and That's plenty of size. I, I, I feel like for Skirmish, 3x3 is plenty. I, I mean, Kill Team is less, so... I mean, but again, these models are bigger, right? So. Kill Team is less than 3x3? Three three? Uh, yeah, it's like a 2x3. Oh, fuck. It's a very small board. But also, this is a higher scale. That's what, yeah, that's what I was saying. So, yeah. I feel like the, you can definitely go with a bigger table. Yeah. I like, dude, I, I, I fucking, I like a lot of what I see for Shatterpoint. Like, all this needs to do is be fun, and it's going to be hard for me to, to pass this up. As long as they deliver on everything that they're saying it's going to be. Well, they haven't said much. They said it's going to be a skirmish game with some verticality. I mean, they basically said it's going to be crisis protocol but star wars <laughs> those bases are super advertising that yeah and i haven't played crisis protocol so like i hear it's really popular is it that's what i heard i haven't seen people play it me either so i always hear that it's popular but i've never seen anyone play it exactly and that's like is it but it, it must be i mean it being popular doesn't mean that the gameplay is good facts because I mean, comic books are popular, comic book heroes are popular, and they develop models that look fucking awesome. And so people could just be buying these models just to paint them and put them on their desk, you know? Honestly, looking at the Iron Man one, that's it, it's a desk-worthy model. It's a very good sculpt. Dude, all of them are. All of them look amazing. Especially some of the later ones that they've done, some of like the redos of the old core set Marvel Crisis Protocol models. Mm-hmm are insane looking like the 
Like, you see Iron Man, and Iron Man from the corset looks pretty cool. But, like, Iron Man Hulkbuster, that's fucking mm. wild. But you can see how they got better at modeling through that. You see Iron Man, and he's just kind of standing there, puts his hand up because he's got the hand blaster. Yeah. Everyone knows Iron Man. Then you see Iron Man Hulkbuster, and they're both, like, levitating via modeled plastic smoke. Which is a dope effect. And that's how they depict their flying. And then you see these Mandos with their jetpack. And they've got two jetpack streams that are holding them onto the base. And that's how they're flying. Instead of using like a plastic rod to lift them off the ground. So I expect a lot of these Shatterpoint models, like if this is the base and that degree of uh, improvement we can directly see from Marvel Crisis Protocol core set to now, like what kinds of crazy shit are they going to be able to do with their models two, three years down the line. Facts. Yeah, I mean, I'm just admiring them all now. Like, and whoever does the paint, my God, does such a good job. Yeah. I think, um, I don't know which ones particularly you're looking at, but I know Sarastro is, like, fucking... I'm looking at the Crisis Protocol one. Um, Yeah, yeah. There's, like, this dude with, like, a sword and, like, this bomber jacket, and, like, the fur-lined portion of the jacket just looks so damn good. I think that's Baron Nemo you're looking at. Or Zemo. I, uh, super unfamiliar. Purple mask face? Yes. Yeah, that's Zemo. Like, my god. Yeah, that one looks really cool. Always getting me into new games. Yeah, games are fun. <laughs> so, last last couple points. Yeah. One of the things I think is a bit strange is Django is clearly in the game. We can see him in uh, photobombing Obi and Anakin. Looks cool and everything. And then they've got another Mando that's painted almost exactly like Django, but is not Django. Which photo? So we've got Corset Republic. Yeah. And the Mando, third from the right. You look at him and you're like, that's Django, right? I would say that's Django. It's a super long helmet, though. It's fucking not. It's not him. Super long helmet compared to Django. Different jetpack. Um, and he doesn't have uh, his uh, blasters. Mm. And then we go to the Django photobomb. And then there's clearly Django. So I'm like, why did they paint that other one like that? Seems weird. It's super weird, right? Because if you look at that armor and compare it to the armor to his counterparts, his uh, the leg armor for his counterparts all has like this extra trim. And his is like the smooth Django armor. Like a Kamino yeah. armor. It is totally different. It's yeah. like they took the body of Django and then slapped a different helmet on it. That You would say that, but then um, the Django model is clearly a different mold stance and yeah I mean, the legs and everything but maybe okay so i think this lends you know credence to the possibility that you get like multiple stances in a box oh that could be cool of like oh make a django or make a a different neutral uh, mandalorian um or even django with his guns out or django maybe running or using his jetpack that could be cool i fuck with that but yeah that is super weird he's got clearly different armor hmm. yeah i wonder why they chose to paint him so similarly to Django and not more like a night owl like he should be well i mean like he can't be a night owl but y- y- you get what i'm saying is i don't think he has any of the symbols for it either well yeah but i mean night owls night owls are exclusively like a female group oh are they Bo-Katan. yeah yeah yeah. you're such a dork chandler yeah, you're calling me a dork <laughs> on our Star Wars podcast. Yeah. Um, and I do what the I last, can. The last thing I wanted to 
to mention is just a, a quote. Uh, Every day we stray further from army-sized gameplay, Mahatma Gandhi. Uh, from army-sized gameplay? Yeah. Yeah. He said it back when he was alive, and I think about that every day. I mean, if someone offered, like, the, the ability to do so. Because I, I look at this, and I'm just like, another game that I don't get to field, not just an AT-AT, but, like, multiple AT-ATs. Or AATs. That would be great. Or ATTEs, you know? Mm. I, I, can't, I can't do it even more now. Because another company that makes Star Wars miniature games is just not doing it. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I would love that game. The closest we got to it is Legion. And even the scaling on Legion isn't big enough. No, definitely not. We're like... God, could you imagine trying to print an ATAT at Legion scale? It's the whole. I mean, like transport it. Are we even going to talk about that? <laughs> just making it and putting it on the board, and then you're like, "This is the entire fucking board." It'll be like uh, the Manta for Warhammer, if you're familiar with that. Uh, yes, yeah, it would just be <laughs> so outrageously large. Four thousand dollars. You need to scale it down, and then it's still like, well, then what do you do with it? You just have it stand there and look cool. I mean, I guess. I, I just want a game where I can have, like, three AT-ATs and then a bunch of little troop guys pushing around and, and some other shit, you know? Like, I want a whole army-sized game of Star Wars and, like, still, again, doesn't happen. I would play the shit out of that game, though. I know, right? Like, imagine you've got, similar to Armada, like, an AT, AT is like a, like a small ship-sized unit. You know, it takes up that much mm -hmm. space on the board. You got uh, a cluster of squadrons that are like the, uh, the snow speeders. And that, that's kind of the vibe I'm going for. Even smaller than that, maybe just a cardboard piece is a bunch of troops and stuff. So you still have your, your whole troops. But that's the kind of thing that I would really like to do. Or not do, but play. I'm not a game designer. I feel like they do that all the time, though, with like those little like World War, World War II kind of board games. Yeah. Like, I have one that's like 1914 or something, 1940, whatever. But, yeah, it's like literally that. One side's the Germans, one side's the, like, the British or the Americans. And you have, like, these little cardboard tokens to represent, like, you know, like, squads of troops. You know, you have, like, little tank tokens. I mean, shit. That literally will translate to, you know, AT-ATs and um, snow speeders. Yeah, but, alas, nobody's doing it. Not yet. Not yet. I mean, to get back on track a little bit, um, the next thing that we're going to be talking about, if you're ready to move on. All right, segment two. All right, uh, next topic of discussion is going to be rapid reinforcements. So, uh, main thing to talk about here is going to be, oh, you know what? And that's actually a question I brought up is, you know, in our notes here, we have rapid reinforcements one. Um, I was like, oh, is there a second that they announced? Um, but that's uh, one of our main talking points today is that it precludes that there's going to be rapid reinforcements two. That would be cool. I certainly wouldn't mind that. Yeah, this was something I was surprised they did just based on like how often game developers say we can't talk about future product. Mm -hmm. They could have just had it be rapid reinforcements and that's it, bar none. Like, why put in a Rapid Reinforcements 1 and you're not going to make a Rapid Reinforcements 2? 
it would actually make more sense to just say call it rapid reinforcements and then call rapid reinforcements to rapid reinforcements to instead of kind of hinting that there's going to be more. That's what I was thinking. And what would be hilarious to me is if there was never a rapid reinforcements to and that this was the only one we got. Um, hilarious, yes. That's not what I hope. I, I would... I would love that so much. I actually want that to be the case now. Or that they, what would be Rapid Reinforcements 2, I just want them to name it something else so that there's never another Rapid Reinforcements 2. <laughs> <laughs> just, I, I, don't, I don't know why. Uh, stupid shit like that is funny to me. Like Smuggler's Run or something like that. Yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, if this is the uh, 2022 expansion pack. Or upgrade expansion pack, you know, and there's just never another rapid reinforcement. Uh, some other topics. So development process of this release. That's interesting. Um, that means you feel some type of way about it. Uh, I kind of already yeah. commented on that a little bit. There's no plastic in it. In this one in particular, there's not even any cardboard. They just said, here you go. Yeah, it's just a print and play. So, you know, as I mentioned before, I feel like perhaps all the people that work on plastic and in this situation perhaps even those that work on cardboard were 100 percent told to work on nothing but shatterpoint so yeah I, I think that's probably like they wanted to show that they were still interested in the game but they just didn't have the resource to devote to anything bigger than this this is what we got that's an interesting point because when when i was looking at at this i didn't make that kind of connection because i wasn't thinking of like oh the modeling process obviously they only have so many people who can model shit at a time. Yeah, that shit's hard. <laughs> yeah, that shit's hard, especially when you do like quality shit like obviously they've shown they did with Shatterpoint, you know? Mm -hmm. So it makes sense to create a release that you don't have to worry about any of that kind of stuff. Just a print and play, no cardboard, no cards, no, no nothing like that. I mean, there is some new art, but a lot of it is reused from other things. Like the, the Gazanti art, is reused. Providence is from from an old Darren Tan artwork. Um, a lot of this art is is reused, but some of it, I think, I think the Hera in the X Wing is new. Could be wrong, but reuse some assets, make a print and play, and we're good to go. Hera in the X Wing is a really good piece of art, by the way. Yeah, it's really good. Big fan of that one. But yeah, one one of the things I I wonder how much of this is holdover from stuff that was in development from FFG. Because we know that Legion had a lot of that. They had a lot of expansions like uh, Shadow Collective and a couple other things that FFG had been developing and then passed off to AMG to, you know, complete the run, get everything shipped. So I wonder how much of this uh, was a part of that or if this was just a, hey guys, let's put this together, put some crossovers in, makes a couple new squads and and get a print and play out. I would say anything that's a squadron looks like something that was brought over. Anything that's ship related, I, I, I think that was something that was new. Really? Yeah. Um, especially based on the artwork, right? Because that's where we see a lot of the new artwork happening. I feel and looking at it, it looks like they were making a new like squadrons pack for the era where we would see perhaps Anakin Skywalker and Eris and Dova. Yeah, that that might be it. That might make sense. And I think that's probably what they were working on. Just, that's just my opinion. Yeah, so, talking about the ships. 
We'll go through the ships first. We got the Venator II for the Empire, Providence class carrier for the Rebels, Victory One for the Republic, Gazanti cruisers for the Separatists. What are your thoughts on on their like ship choices? I think it's it's pretty standard to me, except the Providence. The Providence I saw and I was like, what the fuck? What's so special about this Providence? It's fucking weird. Like, why do the Rebels get a Providence? Hmm. Oh. Okay, I was just you know, it's, it's like I've, I've never seen the rebels run with a providence, you know, like like Venator for the Empire makes a whole lot of sense to me. Gazanti Cruises makes sense. Victory One makes sense, but the Providence is like a fucking weirdo. I think any of the separatist ships are kind of up for grabs because I feel like they were kind of like the first real rebels, right? They were the separatists, so yeah, they got they, that's who donated essentially to the rebel cause. So I don't yeah. know, it, it fits for me. But, um, yeah, looking at the rest of them and, you know, how, how I feel about these ships, I feel like, aside from the Gazanti, that makes sense, you know, having a flotilla uh, is good. I, I don't think any of them were of consequence. Uh, the squadrons, uh, notwithstanding, talking about the ships Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll get to the squadrons. Yeah, I, so. yeah, I kind of agree with you. I think that the real big player here is the Gazanti cruisers, just as far as mechanical implementation for like list building and uh-huh. the rest are kind of non-withstanding they don't really do much at all i mean the providence is weird it's got a weird kit of upgrades that allows it to do some pretty shenanigan shit but it's not i wouldn't say it's extremely powerful in that regard but the gazanti cruisers like man i was whining about this non-stop when separatists came out of like, why don't we have a flotilla, blah, blah, blah. Like, the hard cells are priced at a certain point where you can have, like, 40-something points left over in your list and not be able to add anything. Mm-hmm. And Gazanti Cruisers, you know, fill that role. An expensive fucking flotilla, 27 points. But, man, I've, I've put these in so many Separatist lists. Like, they really fit, and they really feel good. Well, I mean, you, you need a flotilla and a fleet. I think it's it's important to have one all the time, so... I agree, but, but that, you know, saying that, Republic doesn't have flotillas. And so now they're they're the odd man out. They don't get to have that kind of... They're lacking. <laughs> ...activation padding or, you know, fleet bonus that, that one gets when they add a flotilla to their fleet, you know? So, um, you know, we, we talked about ships now. Uh, squadrons. Uh, how do you feel about the squadrons? Mm, I think they're fine. I think... Just selfishly, I'm like, why didn't Separatists get squads in this pack, you know? Like, we didn't get anything. I didn't realize. Yeah, there's no Separatist squadron in this. It's just Anakin, Hera, and Vader. Mm. Hera, I really like. I really think she brings back the the Rebels being able to field X-Wings and a, a bunch of them. You know, like, four X-Wings with Hera is really good. Because uh, her ability is... Uh, while a friendly squadron that has escort is at distance one to two, it has adept one. That's really good. She herself has dodge one and bomber, and all X wings will have bomber as well. That's so good, especially when you run X wings because they a lot of them have red as their anti ship die, so you're gonna have to reroll it a lot. And uh, I I wouldn't say that it would make me not take bomber command center because reds are so fickle that it, like, I would probably take Hera and some X-Wings and Bomber Command Center. 
and then I can get some real guaranteed damage. Oh, hopefully, yeah. Yeah. Red Earth are pretty fickle. But she's got double brace as X-Wings do. She seems really solid. Yeah, double brace isn't bad. I mean, she'll last a while. But she, I mean, Oh, yeah, especially because she herself doesn't have escort, so she can't be targeted until all the X-Wings around her die. Ooh, I didn't notice. Yeah, so she's like a huge endgame piece. Unless you've got snipers or IGs, like, she's going to be alive till the end of the game. Mm. And so there's a whole 23 points of your fleet that's, like, untouchable, which I like a lot. That's real good. I mean, unless you get completely fucking smashed. Like, if you <laughs> just have her and a couple X-Wings and, like, that's it. But if you're bringing Hera, I would invest... As many X-Wings as you can. As many X-Wings as you can. You know, supporting interceptors. And maybe like one other bomber. But Harris is amazing. Especially for her cost. And like this is the kind of thing that, that I'm talking about. Is like all of these squadrons. I'm like I immediately know the role to fill for them. But these ships are pretty stale. And, and we'll, we'll, get, we'll get to the ships again. Because I have a lot to talk about with them. But. Oh, well, why didn't you talk about it? You know, I uh, I have something I, I noticed about the ships, but we'll we'll talk about it again when we get to the ships. But tell me about Vader. That's why, because once I'm talking about some other things, I'm like, dang, I'm yeah. going back because I got more to talk about. So we'll, we'll flip-flop a little bit, but it'll be fine. It's the same subject. But Darth Vader, at first glance, seems so fucking overtuned that it's insane he's in the game at all. <laughs> Every you time know? I see that, I'm like, oh, fuck, here we go again. Like, if I'm going against that. It's, yeah. So he's got the the whole suite anti-squadron, red-blue, double-black, which is amazing, and double-red anti-ship. Which is crazy. And his ability is, while attacking a unique squadron, each of your crit icons adds one damage to the damage total. He has Adept 2, Bomber, and Rogue. 25 points, Brace and Evade. Fucking amazing, right? In a defender, mind you. You know, with Hera at 23, Darth Vader is not bad at 25. No, Vader's not bad at 25. He's just the guy that does it all. <laughs> you, you can just have you can have a fleet, no squadrons, put Vader in there, it's over. It's like, if he gets one shot off, you roll whatever the fuck you want at a unique squadron, re-rolling two. So, if you're shooting an ace, you re-roll that blue and red. If you're shooting at a generic... You just re-roll the blacks and get guaranteed damage. He's super consistent. And against ships, like, two reds is, is pretty good. I mean, they, they've got low average, but, I mean, you're going to be hitting for two damage a lot of the time with a crit because he's got bomber. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, on the high end, three damage from a squadron is pretty good. And then you have the extreme high end, which is the double-double. You can get four damage on a ship. So, question for you. But that's super unlikely to happen. What's up? Now that we have a new lens to look through, how do you feel about Darth Vader for a Suma game? For a Suma game? Hmm. Really, his only good factor is that... Hmm. Actually, I don't think he's good at all for a Suma game. He's 25 points, speed 5. So he's expensive. Expensive, but fast. But the thing with Vader, and even just in normal 400-point games, is that he's fucking weak. He's got no scatter. He doesn't have double brace. 
He has Brace and Evade. So for Squadron play, Evade's only reroll. There's no cancel. There's no discarding to affect an additional die, nothing. So Vader's taking damage at all times. And if he gets clapped with an accuracy, he can take just three damage in a shot. Just mm. one shot. That, and that's half his health. So unless you're running like escorts or man, I would even consider running Intel alongside Vader, like with Dengar. Dengar and Vader. That way, like, if he gets jumped by one squadron, you can just fucking go full speed away with grit. But man, you lock down Vader, he's he's dead in a round. He's got no survivability with one brace. I feel like the reroll's not bad. You're mostly going to get blue dice, you know, thrown at you, and accuracy likely would, you know, be locking down your brace. You know, yeah. they might have one hit. Hopefully you can reroll that into an accuracy or a crit, which will likely be a miss. But that's just a coin flip. That's a 50-50. And that's only if they have one damage. Let's say an X-Wing comes up on you, an accuracy, two damage. And then you coin flip one of those damages. <clears throat> Lots of time, Vader's going to take two damage straight up from one shot. And that makes him weak. Okay. He doesn't have he doesn't have the survivability. He needs a lot of support and he's expensive for what yeah. he does. Yep, so not good in a Sumo game. Not good in a Sumo game for sure. But even just in normal games. And also you're gonna run with like Vader's clear to attack. He attacks a ship, rolls two reds, you've got a blank and a hit, and you're like, I'm feeling spicy, and you reroll both of them, and nothing happens. And you don't get any damage. I would consider running Bomber Command Center if you're running Vader. I mean, even if you have Adept 2, red dice don't care about <laughs> don't don't care about it. They don't care about your rerolls. I mean, giving Vader a third reroll is amazing. And almost like I feel like it's necessary to invest in Bomber Command Center if you're having Vader and you're relying on his ship damage, which is you know, on average, going to be two damage, but you're going to end up hitting the low end a lot. And also, the there's an obvious pairing with, you know, you just have Empire Super Aces, Vader, Merrick, and Jendon, and you just have a terrifying amount of squadron damage that you can do. Ooh, especially if they don't bring any fighters. Yeah, if you run <laughs> with someone who's not bringing any fighters, and you just roll Vader speed five, Merrick speed five right into the front of their ships and you start attacking like round two or the start of round three. Dude. Fucking insanity. But that's not even the most insane squadron in this release. Now we come to the most insane squadron in the game, which is Anakin, Sev Anakin Skywalker in a Delta 7. So he's in a Delta 7, 24 points. Scatter. Speed 4, hull 4. Anti-Squadron, Blue, Blue, Black, Black, and Anti-Ship, Black, Brace Scatter. His ability reads, while attacking a squadron during your activation, at the end of the resolve damage step, you may choose up to two enemy squadrons at distance one of the defender. If the defender was damaged, the chosen squadrons suffer one damage. Adept 2, Counter 2, Dodge 1. Fucking wild. So you just hand out damage. 
you just hand out damage. It doesn't matter if they're scatter aces. It doesn't matter if you're not at range one of them. Like, oh, you're trying to do that. You're trying to have a squadron ball so you have all these effects. No, fuck you. I'm going to attack you and damage you and damage you. There's nothing like Adept 2 with blue, blue, black, black is always hitting. He's always going to hit you. Yeah, that's super consistent. Like, the only way you can get away is if you're a scatter ace and they whiff on the first blue roll and then whiff on the re roll with Adept 2. Like, that's the only way you're going to get away. He's so good. He's so fucking good. And his point, it's not that bad. He's Is he cheaper than Vader? I think he's cheaper than Vader. He's cheaper than, than Vader Defender by one point. Yeah. But he's so much better in almost I, I think every so. regard. Really, the, his only downside is his health fell. He's only four. But, I mean, you have Scatter, so. He's got Scatter, and he's got Dodge 1. So, like Vader, I mean, Vader doesn't have Dodge 1, but Evade is essentially a shitty dodge. Hmm. So he's got an untargetable, unstoppable dodge instead of an evade and a scatter. I mean, he's really fucking good, dude. And counter too. I mean, there's not much that can be said about him other than you run him with flight controllers and just destroy everything in sight. I'm a little surprised it's only speed four, just from, you know, cannon's perspective. Oh, well, Delta sevens are just speed four, you know. I mean, they're not... They're not really interceptors, but I, I don't think um, I don't think Republic has interceptors though, right now. I feel like looking back, at, um, you know, at at the videos that I've seen, I feel like they always look like a speed five thing. Like, what's faster than an Aether Sprite, right? Yeah, that's true. But I would tell you that what is faster than an Aether Sprite is an Ada two. Which one's the Ada two? It's uh, opening of episode three. Those ships that Anakin and Obi were in? You remember those? I think so. Yeah, look it up real quick. It's the Ada 2. Those are going to be the Speed 5 Republic ships, for sure. Looking at and in that, in that regard, the, the Aether Sprites being Speed 4 makes sense to me. Oh, fair. Yeah, I've seen these. Yeah, those are for sure going to be the Speed 5. But I mean, like, they could probably both be Speed 5, and it would be fine. I mean, no, different abilities and stuff, these are totally like, speed 5. Yeah. Hmm. But I mean, if, if Anakin in, in the Delta 7 was a speed 5, it would be so fucking outrageous, dude. <laughs> but um, his ability doesn't work with Ahsoka's ability. Because Ahsoka's ability says, like, after she moves, choose another squadron, they perform an attack. It's got to be during his activation, which makes sense. Could you imagine, like, Anakin activates... And then splashes on all your squadrons, then gets activated again by Ahsoka and splashes your squadrons again. Fucking insane. Oh, and another um, little nuance of Anakin in the Delta 7's ability. Mm -hmm. You can choose the defending squadron as well. So you may choose up to two enemy squadrons at distance one of the defender. Yeah. The defender is at distance one of itself. So you can choose them. Oh. Oh, that's a whole different thing. So, he's got the potential to do five damage to a generic, just fucking straight up. I mean, like, if you roll all hits on your attack, and you choose them, 
for Anakin's ability is fucking five damage. And then you just deal. And you just fucking deal it. He, he, he deals it out, dude. It's, it's insane. Anakin's got to be like the craziest fucking squadron in the game. Even him in the, in the Y-Wing is outrageous. Both of his versions are crazy. I'm I like I'm trying to think of something you know like negative about it, and I just can't think of anything. Yeah, he's just best in slot, for sure. Fair. Yeah, I mean that's that's being the best. You don't have anything negative for it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's that's kind of the thing. Is like you look at him, and you're like, oh, this this is the best one. <laughs> this is the best one right here. Let's talk a little bit, uh, going back to ships. You know, before I forget. Yeah, what did you want to talk about about ships? Yeah, so with the victory, it was. Uh, an interesting opportunity to redo the speed chart or to do something different with the speed chart on the victory. Yeah. And that didn't happen. Um, yeah. Do you have any feeling about that? I do. Now, initially, I was like, oh, that makes sense. They're, they don't want to change the ships too much. But then you look at the Providence carrier and it lost speed three entirely. Did it? Yeah. So, like, what the fuck why are That's they just unacceptable letting my boy the victory just drown in a pool totally ignored but i mean it my does get, i mean the victory does get double ordinance which is cool and offensive retrofit but a lot of like a lot of what i've been seeing from these rapid reinforcement ships not just like on this paper but like out in the world like when we're playing people so they all feel really stale Com- compared to just a smaller wave release of like oh there's this one ship another ship and maybe like a squadron pack or like the the last one the starhawk with the onager it's just two large ships you know mm. and i think a lot of it comes down to they don't have any directly supporting upgrades for their playstyle they don't have titles they don't have any kind of like unique boarding teams or officers that are meant to work with the upgrades that they've come with. They have nothing like that. They can only use what's already out. And I think that's a huge detriment to even considering playing some of these at all, other than like the Gazanti, because it fills such a mechanically important role in Separatist fleets, which is the fl- cheap flotilla. I mean, mm-hmm. cheap, but it's 27 points. But you know what I mean. There wasn't a cheaper option. There's not a cheaper option, which there should be. But, but we'll, get, we'll get to that aspect of rapid reinforcements as well. But what do you think about just like, I don't know, the, the kind of staleness of, of some of the ships? Because obviously that's not a problem with the squadrons. Like, I can look at the squadrons and immediately see the role. I think this is where I get a lot of my theory that, you know, they had the squadrons already on hand. Um, you know, from before the transition, and that's why they're so fleshed out, and that's why they're so good, because I think it was like a squadron pack they were making, and then they just kind of had to throw these ships together. I don't know why they felt like they had to, though, but, I mean, they did for some reason, and I feel like that's... Well, to be fair, I'm glad they did. Like, I'm, fucking... Good. I've, but... I've seen so many rapid reinforcement ships and squads being run that I, I don't think we've done a tournament in which one of these ships or squadrons is not in it at all. Okay. Yeah. No, I mean, that's super fair. I I think that's a true observation, but them not having like titles or new officers is, is definitely felt. Um, 
Yeah, that's valid. Yeah. And another thing about the rapid reinforcements, and I was talking with, I think it was, I'm not going to call them out, but so I was talking with someone mm-hmm. about rapid reinforcements, about, oh, oh, some of it seems a bit weird. Obviously, we've got the Venator 2 class Star Destroyer, and it, it's a bit different than the Venator 2 class Star Destroyer for the Republic. I mean, the Republic one has Squadron 5. Where did that go? Obviously, from a gameplay perspective, uh, you cannot have a Squadron 5 ship in the Empire. It's just not going to happen ever, because you'll put Sloan Commander on it with Expanded Hangar Bay and absolutely uh, destroy your opponent every single time and just be fucking super overtuned, you know? That makes sense. But the speed chart's the same. The dice is all the same. All the shield values are the same. And the upgrades are different. The Venator 2 gets uh, double ordnance and and loses a... What does it lose? The offensive. Double ordnance is interesting. There's not many ships that have double ordnance or double of any slot, to be honest. I think the most frequent uh, double upgrade is uh, offensive retrofit, followed by... The turbo laser, then defensive Simon, retrofit, yeah. and the the least prominent double upgrade is officer. So it's interesting to see double ordnance, and and here we come to the providence that really fucks up that statistic. <laughs> providence class cruiser has double officer, double gunnery team, double <laughs> offensive retrofit, double support team. <laughs> so it's like I don't know. Uh, fucking Johnny Red Eye made this card. Yeah, it's a joke because it's out of this fucking world. It. And the Providence, again, it's it's similar, but in a way that's a bit strange. It completely loses speed three. Its speed two gets worse, and its speed one gets worse. So the Separatist Providence, double click at one, one click, one click at two, one click null on three. And then the Providence class carrier for the Rebels just has one click at one, one click at two, and null. And it's like such ass now i would like expect at least like a shield boost oh but i don't think they can well maybe they could oh and it fucking loses contain and gains evade uh so you're gonna make the speed worst and then give it evade i can kind of understand making the speed slower because it's got double support team and it's significantly cheaper than the Providence class carrier because you can put engine techs on it, mm. you know. But why reduce the yaw on on one and two and make it like so shitty? I don't know. But I've seen a lot of people run the Providence carrier, and particularly one local who ran it and won the tournament with the Providence carrier. I don't know exactly the build, but like. I think it had like double boarding teams on it or something, and something wild. And then we get to the victory one, which this one has double ordnance again. And not much has changed with this. It loses a redirect, gains a salvo, 75 points. I think, I think that's the same as the victory one. No, it's two more points more expensive than the victory one, just to really fucking dig the knife in that the victory's cost isn't coming down. (laughs) 
I will say, though, that Salvo solves a lot of problems, especially with those two reds. That Salvo is really nice natively on the victory. And I'm honestly ready to give up the second re uh, redirect on the victory one for the Empire. Like, if I, if I can get a Salvo for two points, man, I'd fucking do it. But also, I'd, I've seen a lot of the victories being run just as, like, spat boats. Because he's got an offensive retrofit, and he can only run spots in Republic. Mm. So people will bring, like, two or three victories just with spots, and, and that's it. And you can fucking unload them with you. But, so those are, those are mainly my thoughts on these ships, is there's, there's not much to them. And I kind of narrowed it down, because they've changed a lot of what they could change without having to invest in cardboard, like you were saying. Mm-hmm. Because the Victory has a completely different upgrade suite, different points, different defense tokens. So we've seen all of those pieces change. On the Providence, we've seen them change the speed, and obviously there's a shitload going weird with the upgrades. Squadron value's different. Um, squadron value's different on the Venator 2. The one thing that hasn't changed at all is the names used and the dice pool. Because... Why the fuck is the Rebel Providence called a Providence Carrier if it's got a squadron value of two? Mm. And why is the Victory 1 a Victory 1 and not a different version from early in the Republic? Why is the Gazanti-class cruiser called that when it's clearly a Sea Rock in the, in the card art? <laughs> yeah, that is a little strange. No, that's because the names are on the cardboard. The names and the dice pool are all on the cardboard. So those are the things that can't be changed. Ooh. Because they want you to be able to immediately reference your card and the cardboard that's on the table. Because the cardboard is the game piece, not the ship. The ship, art, upgrades, speed values, defense tokens, all of that can be changed. But what can't be changed is the name on the cardboard. The cardboard. And I actually think the shield values are, this, are on the cardboard as well, which is why those haven't changed. Yeah. You're right. Hmm. I think I think the whole value is on the ship too. Or is that on the cardboard? Yeah, the whole the whole values are on the the ship card as well. Yeah, another thing the, the that cardboard. isn't changed. Wow, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So the dice pool, hull value, name of the ship, and the shields are all on the cardboard. So we've seen them change everything else about the ship except those things. Defense tokens, squadron value, upgrades, speeds. Because those are all that they could change. Mm -hmm. So I think if, you know, there were to be releases in the future, eventually this would be voided. And the Providence class rebel refit will come out and then they can change the dice pools and everything to match up with what they want it to be. That's interesting. It is interesting. But the biggest thing for me was the Gazanti cruiser. Because, like, it's obvious that it's not a Gazanti. They're not even trying it to hide that it's Gazanti. And I think that were they able to, they would have changed the name of the ship on the card. I mean, they have the art for it. They have the art there for it, obviously. So I think when they're able to, they'll just, you know, release that expansion and be like, hey, the rapid reinforcements, Gazanti... Physical. Put a big, big old void go. on that. 
use the physical one now and we're moving on you know no i think that's really smart that's a that's a really good observation and another observation which i think is an obvious one but no rebel ships are cross-faction no mm -hmm. rebel ships made the move it was mainly empire because empire had their gazantes go to separatists republic moved their ship to empire and empire moved their ship to republic so everyone's getting their shit from the Empire. I mean, that's canon. Yeah, essentially. No, makes sense to me. So, talking rapid reinforcements too, or what I would prefer to call it, upgrades in Commanders 2023, just so we don't use rapid reinforcements too in the title. <laughs> uh, what What do you expect from rapid reinforcements too? What do you expect Ooh, to see? That's a tough question. I not even expect... not even what you want. What, what do, do I you expect? expect? Yikes! I have no idea. It's like I want to say something with like maybe like the Mandalorian, but no, like that's too you know it's, niche. That's I too think. Far out. Yeah. Again, that's kind of coming from what I want to see. Because remember, like this has to be a rapid reinforcements, so we can't do plastic, we can't do cardboard. Mm -hmm. It's got to be what we already have or what we can print. I feel like we could have printed that for. You know, again, if you don't care, because the, the, they obviously didn't care about the model looking the same uh, when they did the Gazanti versus the Sea Rock. They could have, like, done mm -hmm. that for another one of the, what was the expansion that had Duel in it? What was the name for it? Duel what? Uh, squadrons for both factions. Oh, the Rogues and Villains. Rogues and Villains, right? So they could have it, like, part of that somehow. Uh, yes. It doesn't matter. Again, if they didn't care, like, the, about the model too much. Yeah, just, just more kind of like how they did with Corellian Conflict, where they just released... I mean, obviously they made physical cards for it and new cardboard, but, I mean, you can just make a whole fuckload of new squadrons from the existing squadron pool in the game. I mean, I'm sure there's a bunch of Delta Seven Jedi that can hop in the seat, you know? You just have to come up with a cool ability. Uh, what I think we're going to get is uh, new upgrades titles and commanders for all factions because that's one of the biggest things that we're lacking from the clone wars factions is upgrades and commanders and one of the biggest things we're lacking from this rapid reinforcements one which is title cards that allow the ships to behave in alternate ways and, hmm. and break some of the existing rules so i didn't even think about that i was thinking strictly about just ship stuff but yeah you're thinking upgrades. Huh. I'm thinking the next rapid reinforcements is upgrades, titles, and commanders. For sure. For sure. And again, this is... I was talking about what I expect. Now this is what I want. What I want them mm -hmm. to do is obviously not call it rapid reinforcements too. Release, like, it doesn't even have to be that many. Maybe 10 or so upgrades, titles, and commanders in any variety for each, for each faction. And then, one squadron for the Separatists, and no other squadrons. Because we didn't get a fucking squadron in, in the Rapid Reinforcements 1. Separatists don't have... You deserve at least one. We deserve one. We deserve another one. So we're on par. And just, just like a whole slew of upgrades and everything, and then just one Separatist squadron. That's what I want. No, I think that'll be the easiest way to do it, at least. Because, again, I just can't think of anything else to do with the ships except for give more Imperial ships to the to rebel player <laughs> yeah, yeah like that's it that's all you can do so that opens up a whole new window 
Yeah. Yeah. And like, fuck. The Republic for sure is going to get an Architans eventually because it, they're so prominent in the Clone Wars. But one of the things I want to avoid, which I like that they did in Rapid Reinforcements, is making a lot of the ships unique. I mean, mm-hmm. the Providence Carrier is unique, the Venator 2 is unique. I, I don't really like the idea of running one of the flagship ships from another faction in a different faction. It's weird to, to like translate that whole identity over to another faction, especially if it doesn't feel right. Like I know, obviously, there are a lot of instances in books and media where, oh, well, this one time Rebels stole a whole Imperial <laughs> Star Destroyer and then used it in their fleet and everything. And it's like, fine. I don't want that. I want there to be an established factional identity that we can track. So when someone asks you, like, hey, man, I'm looking to get in the game, like, what ship am I going to fly? Or what faction am I going to run? I don't want to say, pick one. You can run whatever fucking ships you want. I mean, oh, yeah, just run Republic. It doesn't matter. Uh, You can run victories and ISDs in Republic. Um, Just use this pack, you know? And then it's like, well, why not just play Empire? Oh, because Republic has the best squadrons. And so if you use the best squadrons with the best best ships, ships, it's it's easier to win. I don't want that. So you think the identity is important? I think it's massively important. I thought it, it it was really difficult for me to wrap my head around agreeing with the Providence being in the Rebel faction, for sure. And I think one of the only reasons I'm kind of okay with it is because the Rebel Providence is inherently not a good ship. <laughs> like, it's, it's not very powerful. It's not very good. Um, it's just weird. It's a double boarding trooper ship. It's got support team. It's weak as fuck. It's not a flagship. It's a large base medium ship. It's really weak. Very weak. So you can't build your whole fleet around it. I mean, you can if you want to do fucking shenanigans, but it's probably not a good idea is my point. It's fun. It's not serious. Yeah, it's, it's not really like a serious contender. I mean, it's very different than running up against a, a Providence in the Separatists. Yes. It's a completely different experience. Um, So I really think factional identity is super important and critical for gameplay. You want to be able to play a different faction and feel like you're dealing with different problems and experiencing different weaknesses. And if there are so many ships that are cross-factional just because some nerd wrote about it in a book one time, like, that's fucking not what I want. You know? I don't want the rebels to have a quasar because... In the show, they stole one for a certain period of time. Like, like that's the exception. It's not the norm. I think you make a lot of sense. You've made a believer out of me. You know, you can't just say, I, I, found, I found this one instance. Yeah, I, I found this one instance where this thing happened. And I'm like, yeah, one. You found one instance where that happened. It was like Venator 2s in the Empire. I fuck with that. Obviously, there are some leftovers. The Providence, 
Yeah, I mean, I can probably get around the Rebels finding a bunch of Providence-class carriers that they refurbished, but are now kind of ass. So that's my stance on it. I, I really don't want Rapid Reinforcements to just be the crossover expansions, and I expect upgrades. That's it. No, I think that's great. Just a short little talk about my feelings on cross-factional ships. I'm kind of surprised that uh, they chose to go the direction they went and not with just upgrades. I feel like that's the easier thing to do. Hmm? What's that? Like, I feel like they chose, I feel like they chose the hard path. I feel like the way that you're describing how they could have done it with just upgrade cards, like if I, mm-hmm. so much easier than trying to redesign a whole ship. You, you think they chose the hard path with rapid reinforcements? I... Oh, yeah, because I feel like, I mean, your idea of just having them, you know, do upgrade cards, I feel like that's, like, easier than redesigning a whole ship card. Or, like, a ship... Yeah, to... here's the thing. Is I have the complete opposite opinion. Oh. That this is the easy path. Because count how many ships there are. One, two, three. There's four ships. Now, make an offensive retrofit and count how many ships have offensive retrofit. You have to make it, yeah. You have to balance it across the entire board of the entire field. If you just make these ships and you're not making any new upgrades, you can really just focus on what you're making and like, ah, oh, does this feel right? Is it okay? And not the 15 other things it matches up with. It's easier to test. It's easier to, to figure out what feels good and what feels weird. And you don't have to test it on every single ship in every single combination. That makes sense. And I think that's one of the big reasons why there's no title cards on these. There's just less to test. You just have to test the ship and the upgrades that can go on that ship. If there's a fucking problem, you change one of the upgrade slots and boom, you're done. I'm on board with this. Same. But that time is over. I want fucking upgrades, titles, and commanders now. Fucking, I'm over it. Give me some good shit. Give me some changes. I want Anakin Skywalker commander for the Republic. And hopefully we'll get it soon. Like, like where the fuck are... There's so many things that need to be done. There's so much to do that I'm ready for rapid reinforcements too. Um, Moving on to the next topic here. We're going to talk about Andor a little bit. Yeah, so I just finished this the other day because I'm slow at watching shows. Um... I mean, I feel like the last episode just came out, like, on the Friday, last Friday, so. Oh, did it? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, good. Uh, yeah. Uh, awesome. So. Uh, okay, cool. So, you've seen all of it. I've seen it. Um, you know, something to talk about is the arc structure, which I think it's good. You know, I definitely enjoyed it. I would characterize it as a little bit, of, I'm, not, I'm saying this very loosely, a little bit of boring, and then some really great, super, the best t- TV I've seen in a long time kind of stuff. And then there's a little bit of a lull, followed by the best TV stuff I've seen in a long time, and then ending on a little bit of a lull, uh, which is fine. I, you know, I'm entertained all the way through. I feel like there's a lot of ha- having to get through the first episode or two for some people. And I, I feel like they could have just started, assuming you've seen it, you know, the heist part, mm-hmm. a little bit sooner. It would have c- captured, I think, a wider audience even than it did already. And that's how I feel about the arc structure. What about you? Well, I I thought it was interesting that it had an arc structure at all. Oh. <laughs> like, like, I 
expected this to be one persistent story arc similar to other shows that are you know seasonal based where it starts at episode one and then we go to episode 10 and then episode 10 is or episode nine is the climax and 10 is the resolution we got like Mm -hmm. three distinctly or three or four distinctly different stories yes and instances across this overarching story uh which is cassian joins the rebellion or decides to join the rebellion and so it, it's kind of broken up into like short three episode arcs where it's like the Ferrix arc, it's the Aldani arc, then there's this weird interlude, which was my least favorite part, the prison arc, and then the funeral arc mm-hmm. at the end. And it's, they're so distinct from each other. Each one of them by themselves would have been a good season. Yeah, I would have been satisfied if someone was like, hey, these three episodes are their own thing. Watch <laughs> it. Be done. And God, like it's it's weird to have three s- distinct stories within its own separate story. Like they're they're so clearly separated from each other. Really, the only two that are kind of interconnected are um, the Ferrix arc and the funeral arc at the end, that to kind of close everything out. Because obviously, Cassian leaves Ferrix and then you know comes back when Marva dies and, and mm-hmm. all that kind of. All, the whole shitstorm that he caused kind of comes back. And also, that was something that was weird that I was watching. Like, even just the first episode was extremely distinct from everything I had seen that it really made me sit up from my couch. Because, like, we watch Mando. Mando is a mercenary. He does a job. But overall, he's a good character. Mm-hmm. He doesn't do anything that's like, where you watch and you're like, did he just do that? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's that one time where, you know, he shot the door in the opening scene in the bar and it cuts that guy in half. But that guy shot him first, you know? That's true. But this show opened up and with Cassian murdering two people who were begging for their lives. Uh, One guy, but he'd murdered one and then the other guy was begging for his life. But yes. I mean, yeah, I mean. He straight up murdered them, though. Yeah. And and that it was, like, a huge, significant problem. And I was like, man, like, the main character just straight up murdered people in the opening scene of my Disney show. <laughs> you know? It, it felt very bizarre. And then I'm like, well, why was Boba Fett such a pussy in the book of Boba Fett if we're allowed to murder people in an alley in a Disney show? That are begging. That are they're fuck they were begging for him not to kill them. And he's like, no, I'll kill you. And I, I just does doesn't even make me feel weird. Um, the only thing about it is that now I have to deal with all these people trying to find me, and I don't really like that. He does not feel bad about killing them at all. And they emphasized like the dude realizing that, like, oh, this guy's gonna kill me now because I witnessed this. Like, that was part that a part of it that yeah. was acted out. Like, what the fuck? It it was very fucking almost jarringly different than all of the other Star Wars TV shows. And I liked it a lot. And and that's the kind of thing that I was interested in watching because Cassian does the same thing in Rogue One. Is he's introduced and he straight up kills his friend, like the guy he's working with, mm-hmm. in the opening scene. Like that's how they introduce Cassian. And I'm like, maybe they're going to avoid that 
and show you just kind of how he gets to that point, and no. then that's the only person he kills. Like, no, they fucking straight up open, like, and it, they weren't even doing anything like super egregious. I think they were just bothering him, and he kills them, or like they were gonna rob him. I guess that kind of justifies it, but it was it was definitely shocking to me. Well, because he was, you know, if as a spy, if you're caught and like even like registered right mm-hmm. your your existence there is going to be flagged and it's a problem so he couldn't even risk that i think but he's not a, he's not a spy at that point he's just some dude who's looking for his sister which uh spoilers if you haven't seen the show i don't know why you're still here if you haven't yeah. stop <laughs> and go watch it it's fucking amazing like like don't sit here and be like i want to see what these guys think about and or and then i'll decide to watch it no i'm going to talk about a bunch of spoilery shit so fuck off Spoilers, he doesn't find his sister. He actually barely gets to look for her at all. That's what he's doing in the first episode. I forgot that was a thing until it gets brought up later in the series. Yeah, he just never gets to find her. This is something that they do in the show that I really like. And it's subversion with purpose instead of purposeless subversion. Mm. Cassian doesn't get to spend time looking for his sister at all because of all this shit that has built up and is now crashing down around him. They don't say, oh, like, I'm looking for my sister, and then he finds her in the Imperial prison, and, like, that's the reason he chooses to do this escape, is because his sister's in the prison, too, you know? Or he doesn't eventually find her at the end, and then decides to help the Rebellion because she's in the Rebellion, too. It's like, no, uh, his sister is probably dead, and so he just continues dealing with his own problems. I'm on board with this. Yeah. And and another point is at the end of the Aldani arc, they've escaped. They they did the heist. We'll probably go back and talk about everything more in detail, but at the end, the guy is trying to bait him to trying to bait Cassian. I for, I forget what the guy's name, the guy with the ugly face. He's like, "Hey, like there's a fuckload of money in there. Let's split it 50/50 and we'll get out of here." Mm. And then again, Cassian murders him. Yeah, just straight up shoots him. Without knowing if this guy was trying to, like, test his loyalty to the Rebellion. That's what I thought, like, when Cassian killed that guy. I was like, yo, dude, like, you don't know if that guy was lying. In fact, that guy just told you he was lying about most everything he told you. So, like, maybe he's just trying to test you to see if you're ready to join the Rebellion. And you just killed him. I thought that was a pretty extreme reaction. I thought it was pretty extreme as well. And then Cassian goes in, talks to Vel, says he's taking his cut and leaving because that's what he agreed to. And then I was expecting, like, because Vel gives him, like, you know, the whole rebellion sob story. Like, Mm -hmm. what about these people? What about everything? He's like, I don't care. I'm leaving. I did what I said I was going to do. And then he turns around and leaves. I expected there to be, like, a little bit of a beat. And then he comes back in and he's like, no, you're right. Everything in the world is wrong. And then joins the rebellion. And that's not what happens. He goes to Honolulu and... Has a hell of a time. And getting tail all day. It was strange to me that they spent the time to do that. It, it felt like a lot of this show was the writers and the directors and people who were making the show were like, uh, no, we're not going to do that. We actually have time to create an interesting story arc. Multiple story arcs, in fact. 
we've got the time to do four different story arcs. So no, we're not going to immediately jump to him joining the Rebellion, because that happens at the end. Uh, yeah, no, definitely. Um, they did take their time, and they really built the atmosphere, I think, before every stage was progressed. So, very good. Yeah. I think, I think the thing I had the biggest problem with was, it's like in the very beginning, when they said that the time period was BBY5. Mm-hmm. It's, it's 5 BBY. Like, it's like if someone said, oh, the year is AD 1992. It's like, no. It's the other way around. I didn't even catch that. Not even... Yeah, like, why did you do that? It's weird. It was weird. What does BBY stand for? Before the Battle of Yavin, which is like the center point of the, the year structure for Star hmm. Wars. Didn't know that. So A New Hope is zero BBY. Yeah. Because obviously that's when the Death Star is destroyed. Everything after that is one or two or three BBY. And then everything... Or no. No, everything after the Battle of Yavin is ABY. After Battle of Yavin. After, yeah. BBY yeah. is before Battle of Yavin. I actually don't think the years are mentioned directly ever i think it's only in used as like a referential material for like people consuming the show or book i don't it's i don't think luke skywalker is ever like oh yeah everyone welcome to my birthday at 40 aby you know i think that makes sense it would also be a weird way for the empire to willingly structure their like calendar <laughs> but- i know right it's like <laughs> Yeah, why are we going to structure our calendar around this really ridiculous military defeat where all these people died from, like, a small amount of rebels? So, I, I think it's just something that they never address. But Cool. So, next thing to talk about here. Uh, you had some mention of the ISB. Uh, I think we talked about this before, but I think that the ISB lady is Izard. When you say Izard, you mean like she's taking that character's role? Because she clearly has a different name. I think she's, I mean, yes, but I I think she's going to become Izard. Yeah. No, I guess that wouldn't make sense because it could be. I mean, definitely be. The, the character's role, but it's, it's she's clearly not that character. She could change her name. She could, but why would someone do that? Because she works for the ISB. <laughs> I mean, maybe, but the ISB like aren't really spies. They're like a security bureau. Um, but like one thing about the ISB that I think was interesting, just as far as this show goes, is like the difference in their like mood from like the first couple episodes to when Aldani happens, and that that one uh the leader. He's got a complicated name, so I can't remember. The, the one old leader guy. In the sense, yeah. That in, leads, you know, like, in, the meetings. Yeah, he leads the, the meeting guy. In the first, like, episode, he was, like, asking everybody what they do here at the ISB. And he was like, we're, we're medical doctors, doctors yeah. and we treat symptoms in the Empire. And he's like, nothing super exciting happens. You know, we see something on a report, and we apply this Imperial medication to it. And it goes away. And it goes away and that's it. And then like Aldani happens and like there's a complete mood change where they're like restructuring 
to acquire more power and influence from the Empire, to deal with the rebels, and now they're aware that there's this huge, like, coordinated effort. And I thought that was interesting, because, like, I mean, at this point, the Empire would have been around for, like, 15 years, because I think the Empire was in control for, like, 20 years before Battle of Yavin. So for, like, 15 years, like, they for sure got a tight grip on their power structure. So, like, they don't need to be super aggressive. They, you know, just a little bit here, a little bit there. And it felt like they were being super lax and not, like, lazy, but not fucking worried about anything going wrong. Just as the show says, right? They just don't think that someone will just stroll into an Imperial facility and take their shit. That's that's probably like one of the best lines that Cassian gave was like, I just fucking walked in and took it. Like they wouldn't yeah. even think that someone would do that to them. They're so arrogant. That's it, arrogant. That's the word. Yeah. Yeah, they yeah, they were arrogant. Speaking of lines, <clears throat> that one line that Luthen gave to his ISB plant where he like he was telling him like what he sacrificed, that had gotta be mm. like one of the best fucking lines in Star Wars. Line or a monologue? Like the whole thing. Yeah, I was gonna say it's like a fucking monologue, that whole thing. I watched that and I was like, holy shit, this guy's killing it. Yeah, he's a definitely a good actor. Also, it was only until after I finished watching the show that I realized that Luthen is a new character and not General Draven. Because he, he showed up and I was like, Oh, that's the guy that ordered Cassian to kill Jin's dad in Rogue One. And it's fucking not. Nope, whole different dude. I was going through the whole show being like, you know, this guy, I'm, I'm surprised they got the same guy to do this. And I looked up if they're the same, like right before we did this show, and they're fucking not. They, they look very similar, the two characters, but no. Which doesn't give him plot armor, just saying. Yeah, so he could die. I doubt that he would. He, he seems like one of those characters He's a that just... cool character. He's a cool character for sure, but it, it doesn't seem like he would be in combat or anything. Or it kind of seems like he just stays in the shadows doing stuff for the rebellion, and that's that. So, speaking about the arcs, which one would you say was your favorite? Mm. Out of all of them, uh, the heist. I, I love heist movies and heist things in general. So I thought that was super dope, dude. I was watching that and I was like, what? It felt like a Mission Impossible movie. It was so good. It was so good. Um. So yeah, that was totally my favorite. But the other ones were really good too. Like Prison Break stuff is also really fucking cool. So like that was great. <laughs> I really liked the prison arc. I think the the prison arc was my favorite. Only only for the nonsensical connections that will be made between Andy Serkis's character and Snoke. Mm. Because obviously it's the same actor. I had no idea playing two different roles and he got left behind on the prison station. And so I just want there to be just the most nonsensical fan theory connections between him at that point in time and Snoke. Like they mixed his body and cells and cloned it several times mixed with Grogu's blood. And that's how they created this Snoke character. I don't even want to think about that. I just can't wait for all of that. And if you're listening and you 
if you have all the connections, if you've got the board on your wall with all the red tape, fucking tell me how this is Snoke. Andy Circus from from Andor is connected to Snoke. I want to hear the most outlandish shit. But honestly, like, how fucking sad was that when they did the whole breakout and he was like on the ledge and Cassie's like, "What the fuck, dude? Like, let's go. It's here." And he's like, "I can't. I can't swim." Mm. And it was it was just like. My girlfriend, we were watching it at the time, and, like, even in the next episode, she was like, but, like, what happens to him? That's what I would, yeah. And I was like, babe, he's dead. Like, they killed, it clearly told you they killed a hundred people just because they found out that this dude is from another prison. And what do you think they're going to do to him who led this whole prison escape? Like, he's on the intercoms. Like, he kidnapped these two officers. Like, what do you think they're going to do to him? Move him to another prison? He's dead. He either jumped in the water and died, or they killed him. Um, but, I mean, the prison arc was one of my favorite out of, out of all of them. You think so? Yeah, it was just so interesting, and it seemed like, uh, I don't know, you, you don't really get a lot of prison-type storylines in shows, you know? Not everyone's willing to, like, put their main character in prison and then be like, all right, now you have to figure out how to get out. You know, it's like a super time-consuming kind of storyline, you know? I guess. I mean, you have, like, Prison Break. That's a whole show around breaking out of prison, I mean. Well, he breaks out of multiple prisons. Yeah, but, like, that's the show. I mean, like, when you have a show and you're trying Mm. to tell a certain story... Oh, just having that within a, another show. I get yeah, it. just having yeah. the prison storyline normally takes a long time. But I mean, okay. again, I was also like super shocked when they were like, oh yeah, the floor is essentially lava. It'll shock you to death if you step on it. And then like right when we're introduced to the prison at night, one dude just like steps on it and, and suicides himself and he gets electrocuted to death. And I'm just like, God damn, like, this is my Disney show. This is my fucking Disney show. My Disney Star <laughs> Wars show, even. And this this dude just electrocuted himself to death because he couldn't handle it. But everything about that prison arc, I liked. Just the the hard-ass foreman who, like, just had barely a, le- a year left on his sentence, who just wants to get the job done, put his head down, and get released. And then you realize that, like, none of the prisoners are actually being released. They're just being transferred to other prisons. Fucking insane. Now, that is because of Andor's actions, am I right? Yeah, so all of the changes, like, uh, I think it was explained when he was in the Honolulu planet. I can't remember the name for it, but he was on vacation. He got picked up by the shore troopers, and they were like, "It's the, the judge was citing some new edict where it's like yeah we can just prosecute you we we need essentially they need prison labor and so they're expediting trials and giving out huge sentences so for something that used to be like a six-month charge they said now it's six years of prison now go work (laughs) forever and that was directly related uh to the thing that happened in aldani so yeah, I mean, it was his fault, I guess. It's just an interesting thing, you know, that's not lost on me. Yeah. Yeah, that was pretty fucking pretty fucking crazy, I think. 
Uh, let's talk about Mon Mothma a little bit, which is an interesting little tidbit that shows up every now and again. Uh, I like this little antique shop situation they got going on. It's interesting that she hates her husband. <laughs> that was something that I found that really put me off in like the first episode. Because you see Mon Mothma in all this Star Wars media, and she's always portrayed the same way of like, you know, short red hair, and she's in this like almost lustrous white gown, uh, really measured, really like uh, almost like an like an idol mm-hmm. type thing where she's like always presented as super calm, super collected, and it was weird when you know she has this fucking like fuckboy husband who doesn't really give a shit about her opinions and is constantly like not not like belittling her but like doesn't really respect her and you get that vibe like right in the first couple scenes of them together and i was thinking like why the fuck is mon mothma a character who we've known for decades with this like husband who doesn't like respect her and she obviously doesn't like him either like what the fuck is the story there and I was questioning it for like several episodes and it was really making me feel weird because it kind of like degrades her character, like her own personal character. For putting herself in that situation. For for putting herself in a situation, like being with someone who she doesn't like, you know? And then Mm -hmm. we learn later at one of Mon Mothma's parties. It's like a forced religion thing. Yeah, it's like Chandrilla, her home planet. It's like a custom and you realize that, you know they got paired together when they were like... 15. It's an arranged marriage. Yeah, it's an arranged marriage, and they're that's the reason why they're together. And I was talking about it, and I was like, that's something that most people who are creating a show won't sit on. They'll, they will actually start their story at that party <laughs> to convey that information early on and not leave it a mystery. And they did this all throughout the show of presenting information or questions or little hints as to what's going on. And they won't answer it for several episodes. Did they expressly even say that that's what happened? I mean, I'm just inferring it because of the conversation. They, they didn't even directly say it was an arranged marriage. Yeah. They were just so like, oh, so when did you meet? And they were like, oh, 15, you know, as is, you know, Chandril and custom or something. Oh, they did say that? Yeah, they said it was some kind okay, of... Okay, so there's at least that validation to it. Yeah. yeah. But obviously Mon Mothma's not like, yeah, this fucking dickhead. I wish I got paired with someone better. She She's still like <laughs> putting on the front, you know? But they did that with a lot of information. And really, like, until multiple episodes in, like, you don't even think that Marva is actually like Cassian's adoptive mother at this point. Because he calls her Marva, and, you know, there's a lot of other stuff going on. But it's it's a significant detail that he thinks of her so highly that, like, he'll break into this whole funeral arrangement on a planet he's not supposed to be that has, like, all this empire presence. Do you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. No, absolutely. It's very telling, and it's an interesting part. Like, I feel like you don't see that at all anywhere else in his character. I mean, I guess maybe with Bix a little bit, but he... He cuts her off. So yeah, we, we were talking about Marva and and like her relationship with Cassian, and I I thought it was pretty compelling 
that she was so willing to urge Cassian to like leave her and not take her with him and like you know she was like I'm clearly too old to be fighting anymore and then after she passed she was able to like create this hologram message to like incite rebellion on her home world which we only learn in the last couple of episodes that that's her home world it's not like they're refugeeing somewhere on like a random planet like that's where she was obviously born it was important for her to be made into the stone her voice held weight among the people in that on that planet and man it was really fucking cool that that last part i really liked except for the one character that i i just loved disliking to such a degree was that one guy from the corporate cyril oh cyril berries and cream I, i've never seen someone like so unlikable for not really doing anything super wrong <laughs> doing everything the right way He's just, like, really into his job. <laughs> he wants to do what he thinks is the right thing. And he just sucks at it. He sucks at doing his job. He sucks at knowing when to back off. And he fucks everything up. It, it, it's more, it's a lack of experience, right? And I, I really think that they highlight that, you know, when it comes to, like, um, kind of like the bigger dude who's, like, you know, below him by one rank, but is able to, like, motivate those troops. Um, it, it really highlights that fact uh, instead of, you know, just him being dumb. Um, yeah, definitely just a lack of experience in my opinion. And like, you know, to back that up, you know, later in the series, you see he's able to find who I believe to be um, Izark, right? Spots her out of the, not spots her out of the crowd, but, you know, is waiting in a place that he suspects her to be. Um, even she seemed surprised that he was able to to find her like that. Super crazy. Um, and then, of course, just in general, like, spoiler here, you know, being at the end to save her. And also, like, I can't, I couldn't get past the fact that he is clearly, the actor is clearly an android portraying this role that i feel like if you took his clothes off it would it's all machine parts underneath there <laughs> definitely a fucking robot such smooth skin just cogs and wires and everything like it was so fucking weird and he had the strangest like storyline i don't think i've ever seen a character eat cereal more times than this guy with his mom. He just keep, he's just we keep going back to his house where his mother is berating him and he's eating cereal. And I turned to my girlfriend and I was like one of the writers is just unloading their trauma onto this character. <laughs> They're just like this is what my mother would do. She would she'd call my uncle and tell him to get me a job like I can't fend for myself. Blah 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 in they just fucking unloaded. Because I felt like I was living through someone's, like, familial trauma. Uh, something that definitely, like, picks up for me on that one was that scene where she poured him the second bowl of cereal as acceptance. Someone lived through that, and, like, that, that stands out. It lives rent-free in someone's mind. 
Also, it was really gross. Like every every food he ate was like his diet must just consist of cereal and spaghetti. That's all I've seen him eat. And I watched him eat more than any other character in all of Star Wars. He he ate like eight meals in a ten episode series, and they were only cereal and pasta. Maybe it's the most healthy diet possible in this universe. I feel like the last time that I saw someone eat in this universe was like episode seven when Ray's like eating her like dehydrated packet in the downed ATAT. Okay, so that's pretty much all I have to say about Andor. I thought it was like a fucking great show. I didn't like it as much as Mando season one, but that's just because like I'm a Mando junkie and Mando season one was like fucking top tier. But it's clearly better than almost all of the other series. Definitely one of my favorites. Far and away. Mm. I think I like this a lot more. Mando was really, really good, but I think this just hits like a, a different vibe for me. Absolutely better than almost any other show I've seen. What What about Andor? Because I, I know we were talking about earlier how it's like it, it was kind of slow in the beginning and Mando like popped off in the first three episodes. Mando did. In the first couple episodes of Mando, I was hooked. But with Andor, if you remember, I had to like come back to that. And, you know, again, it, it started off slow. Like it, it was a bit muddled in the beginning. But like once we got to like the heist, like dude, that was it for me. And then the fact that we had multiple like heisty kind of things in in one series, ridiculous. So good, loved it. Yeah, I agree. Like the the heist, the Aldani heist arc was like so crazy. And you you realize they've been building it up. Yeah, they they've been like planning it for months and months and they have this inside guy and they rappel down to like coordinate this crazy fucking heist. And the the final scene with them flying across the planet through this fucking meteor shower. It was it was incredible for sure. Fucking beautiful. Oh my god. That was one of like the coolest looking scenes I've seen in a long, long time. The only thing I'd say is um, fucking android guy, Cyril, his story, he doesn't really do anything. He doesn't matter that much. Like, he's a corporate sector employee who gets fired because he fucked up. And honestly, they could have fucking ended it there. Really, the only thing he does after that is fuck with that one ISB lady. He, like, fucking follows her, stalks her. And then at the very end, he just he just helps her get away from being beaten to death, which I guess is significant, but that's where the show ends, so you don't really know. That's pretty significant. I appreciate when people keep me from getting beaten to death. <laughs> so, let's talk about ships now. Mm, the ships. It was really, really cool to see uh, that spy dude's, like, Crazy ship, fucking lightsabers out of the side. So cool. Luthen's? Yeah, Luthen's ship. That's the Fondor Hallcraft. Of course you know the name, the Fondor. So good. So it's some kind of, like, custom freighter-type ship. Or maybe not a freighter, but... Freighter sounds right to me, and that kind of, like, fits what it does in the universe. I mean, they call it a Hallcraft, so I guess that's the, the class of ship it is. 
and the Fondor is its name. But man, what what a ship that a spy would have. It's got every fucking cool gadget. It's got hidden rooms. It's got a fucking droid navigator. It was fucking awesome. Everything about it exudes cool. The flechette things? They were the fucking coolest thing. When I saw that, I was like, are you serious? And he just, like, had them just to fuck up the... And it makes sense, like, a tractor beam countermeasure weapon. You know? Like, oh, yeah. I don't think I've seen anything like that in the Star Wars universe. Like, I feel like when it comes to those tractor beams, you really have, like, the two choices, right? You have, like... You can fight your way out, which is what they chose here. Or B, you can, like, kind of punch it, which is really what I was expecting to have happen. Like, he was going to, like, jump into hyperspace or something. But no, like, he tricks them. He, like, turns up the jet. So they're like, oh, he's trying to break away. Let's increase, you know, the strength to, like, something. I, I suppose we can't take back so easily. Yeah, and and in a lot of the Legends books, there there wasn't any kind of, kind of like, direct countermeasure to tractor beams other than uh, maneuvering your ship in a particular way to kind of throw it off your your ship or uh, don't fucking be there in the first place and just avoid it. There, there's never been like a direct like, oh yeah, deploy the, the tractor beam chaff and then we'll get out of here. But man, that was one of the, the coolest fucking scenes where you, you just like fucking these panels lifted up and it deployed these fucking ballistic needles into the star destroyer and fucking wrecks it up. Oh, it was so cool. It, it, it will probably come to X-Wing first for sure, but I can't imagine the kind of overtuned shit that they'll let that ship do in X-Wing. Cause he had the, he had like these laser beams that came out the sides and everything. And yeah, I definitely do want to see this in X-Wing and Armada. It would be definitely in, like, a rogues and villains type pack in Armana. It, it reminded me of, like, if James Bond was in Star Wars, that would be, like, his car. With, like, the it's the Aston Martin of Star Wars. It has the oil slick. It deploys the bolos out the side. It's got rockets, you know. and It's just all the cool shit that you would want in your ship. That's got it. Yeah, it's definitely, like, 007's, you know, sci-fi ship. <laughs> Minus the ejector seat. I don't think spaceships have those. And it's nice to see, like, a large ship in Star Wars that isn't, like, a piece of shit. Yeah, that's accurate. You know, it's like, this is the top of the line. He's got the best shit in his ship. Because he can afford it. He's, like, on fucking rich museum curator and he's not like living on it he he's not like cobbling it together with duct tape and it fucking up all the time it's just the coolest best kind of ship that you could get no it's just like an excursion craft he has it serviced on a regular basis it, it is a pretty incriminating ship too yeah he's got like all his spy stuff on there but i guess the the idea is this is his ship that he uses so he doesn't get caught yeah, getting caught in that ship would be really bad. <laughs> so let's talk about the Star Destroyer now. Tell me about the Star Destroyer. And they described it as the Cantwell-class arrestor cruiser. 
a good name. The interesting thing about this is that this was the original, original design for the Imperial Star Destroyer. I had literally zero idea of this. Yeah, so... I think it's really cool. So, it's called the Cantwell class because Colin Cantwell is the guy who originally pitched the design for the, the cruiser for A New Hope. What a load of Easter eggs for this ship. Obviously, they didn't use this one. For good reason. I don't think that back then this would have looked very good. Especially if you like, you know, what the other ships do back then. It's very aggressive. Like, they're, they're fighting ships, like battleships, literally. That's it. This, this is not a battleship. This is definitely, you look at it and it just screams support. It, it did, and it looked super imposing. It looks like it's supposed to just cruise around and, I mean, it's got three dishes, so I'm guessing it can just, like, pluck three separate ships and just hold them in place and, you know, board them, kill the people on board or arrest them and and then take their ships and that's all they say. Oh, that would be cool. So I just kind of assumed it was extra strong. I didn't even think about the fact that it could do more than one thing, like a whole little group. But in Armada, like, this will be the coolest fucking ship. In Armada, that would be really, really good. Like, the ability, like, to actually bring someone to maybe to speed zero, as opposed to minimum speed one. Yeah. Or, like, um, you have special tractor tokens that you put out on, like, three different arcs for the ship. And then you can, like, pick one squadron. Ooh. That's like at distance one of those tokens, and they just can't move, and they're stuck. That'll be really cool, especially if you could, for instance, if one of your squadrons is engaged with them, yours still have like the ability to move or something like that. Like, it, imagine just being able to use the Arrestor Cruiser, which I don't, I don't know. It, it's hard to get a good sense of scale because of the way it's shot cinematically. It looked pretty small, like bigger than an, I think it's like Arcaton sized. Or, yeah, even if it's, like, a small ship, I'd be like, you know, that that seems fucking all right. Because it doesn't seem like it's super huge. Like, just based on, like, the size of, like, the flechette when it seemed to, like, impact the radar dish. But imagine having, like, a medium or a small ship that can target a squadron and just hold it in place. And it, it can't get out. It's just locked there. No movement. That's not so fucking cool. I think that sounds really good, especially if you had, like, a title or something that could increase that to, like, long range. Yeah, like, if, like, what what range would you do do that on? Like, probably medium range to, to hold the squadron, and then if it's got, like, yeah, at a distance it can't hit you, and then you've got, like, blue flak or something. Or you could really, you could really get fancy with it and say, uh, you can target squadrons you know, with whatever kind of manner at um, distance 5, long range. It's got um, blue anti-squadron, so you can either hold it at long range and not be able to attack it, or you can hold it at blue range and be able to attack it. But you can also give it um, a turbo laser upgrade slot. That way, it's got blue anti-squadron natively. You can put heavy fire zone on it and swap out your blue dice for a red dice so that you can hold it at long range and hit it with a red dice. That would be cool. Or, if you're holding it at, at blue range, uh, you can put LTTs on it and start throwing blacks and shit. 
whatever you're holding. Man, I, I love the idea. I love really control-focused ships like uh, like the Interdictor. The Interdictor is more focused on board control, but I like the idea of having like a squadron-focused control-type ship. So I'm not super opposed to that, uh, except you know something's kind of eating at me a little bit. I, I don't think that this ship should be offensive enough to have a turbo laser upgrade slot and like have that sound good. Um, yeah, I think this should really be more support focused and would have the type of uh, upgrade slots you would expect to see, you know, more in a Gazanti than you would expect to see in a Architons or a Raider. That's just my opinion. Maybe a little bit of the Raider stuff, just because there's some overlap with like the anti-squadron kind of stuff. But again, definitely no turbo laser upgrade for this one. And what if it like if if you give it some kind of like just extra fancy shit that it can put like a token on the field, and if squadrons would move over it, then reduce their speed by like two or three, kind of kind of like a graph shift thing, but instead of ships, it's for squadrons. Yeah, 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 I definitely think that that sounds good. Again, I think it'd be cooler if it could be more, like, ship control, just because Armada's a ship game. But you're not wrong. I think that that'll be a good title. I don't think it's good to put that, uh, like, native, like, just have that ship have that ability, um, just because of its base size. I think stuff like that should definitely be reserved for large ships. But yeah, definitely, like, as, like, a title or, like, an expensive upgrade. I like it. I like the idea of the Arrestor Cruiser. And honestly, it, it looks really fucking cool. I definitely think it looks cool with today's rendering. I don't think that this would have sold so well back then. I think the shape's a little too complicated. I, I agree there, yeah. It helps knowing that they're it helps knowing that they're like tractor beams. Cause like in the original design I was like, what the fuck is this? Is are those, like, radar dishes? Like, what are they doing there? Yeah, I mean, like, back then you could have been thinking, like, oh, that could be, like, their turbo laser look. Yeah. But now we have, like, something actually in our minds. We can't, you know, that's not going to be our first thought. Yeah, I like it. Um, What next? Uh, just, like, a simple, quick thing. Imperial lat transports. Not much to say. They dropped some, some stormtroopers off, but... They were there. They existed. Nothing too crazy to say about their design other than it's kind of like, you know, a boxcar, clown car for stormtroopers. They drop pe people off. The thing I really want to talk about, though, is the corporate authority transport ship. Oh, that big triangle thing with the three little dudes that came out? Super fucking awesome. I would love to see that. I have no idea how it would be incorporated, but it's, it's dope. Because this this is like the one of the first instances where we see like a non empire non rebellion entity having a large capital ship non scum on top of that yeah it had a whole different design it had these like deployable ships underneath it. It definitely, it reminded me a little bit of the Imperial Transport, though. So I wouldn't say, like, a whole new design. Like, if I had those side-by-side, side, I would say that, like, one perhaps inspired the other. 
but still definitely a very, very cool look. And then, you know, it's just, it's good to see something different. Like, I don't think we see, like, corporations expressed, so that's very cool. Um, you know, they definitely would have, like, their own design. Yeah, it's, it's got this weird, like, pyramid design that's unlike anything I've seen. It almost looks like a Star Trek ship, honestly. <laughs> you know, you say it looks like a Star Trek ship? I think it looks like a Stargate ship, dear John. Yeah. But I, I like I like the idea of having these other factions that are able to put together these large ships and not just, you know, fucking Corvette-sized ships. It would be kind of interesting to see these ships in play. I, I feel like they would appear as, like, these more well-rounded um, kind of ships, as opposed to, like, you know, with Imperial, you definitely, like, this ship is a shooting ship. This ship is a squadron ship. This ship is a support ship. I really feel like these ships, uh, if, if they were to exist, um, whether it be in their own faction or not, we would definitely, like, you could just have a bunch of the same ship and be totally fine, which is a little boring, but also it currently is unique. Yeah, and, and in true Empire fashion, right when I was like, oh, this is really interesting that there's this whole other faction that has authority over multiple planets I can't wait to hear more about them. And then the Empire comes in. They're like, you've lost all jurisdiction. We're taking over. You're done here. Pack your things. And I was like, oh, there it is. I guess we won't get to know more about them. I don't know. It's pretty interesting. It tells a little bit about the universe. It seems as though the Empire seemed to like absorb um, these other entities as opposed to just completely supplanting them. Um, season 2? Probably, what, four, four years from now we'll get Season 2? Yeah, I'm excited for Ahsoka. Ahsoka's gonna be good. Ahsoka, Mando season three. But yeah, that's pretty much it. I, I really liked Andor. I thought it was great. Andor so far is my favorite. I want more like that. I hope that they see how popular this was, and I hope that's kind of the direction they go in. Yeah, same. It was just so good. That that was my sentiment as well. Like I di I didn't even start watching it until like the fifth episode was out, I was just like, ah, I don't care. Don't give a shit about Andor. And now I'm like, this is some of the best fucking Star Wars show I've seen. And I love it. I, I want more. I want, I want fucking four seasons, you know? Probably never happened, because then fucking... Four seasons would be so good. <laughs> that's a Christmas present right there. Yeah, I think we're... I think that's about it. We can wrap it up. Alrighty. Well, thanks for listening to this episode of the Brace for Impact podcast. You can check our battle reports and other video content on our YouTube channel, and if you would like, you can support future content and get early access to videos and podcasts on our Patreon. See you next time.